Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're available online worldwide to the masses, live and in the moment at RadioNorthland.org. And if you missed this episode, we have updated all episodes of Wrestling Memories Then and Now on our RadioNorthland.org page. You can get there and a link it to the SoundCloud page where you can download to your heart's content this episode and other episodes past and present of presence of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Boy, we've got a lot of then and uh, now we got to make some more episodes here we take a couple weeks off here and there but when we come back we always try to get it uh, very fun and entertaining guests uh, and lively conversation and the last couple of weeks since we've been away the pro wrestling world has uh, definitely uh, been, been shook around a bit let's just say and we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty with those issues with me i'm your host glenn Broggett, along with down there deep in the heart of texas at the moment of our recording he's sitting in the mobile studio uh with which, darn it, they didn't get the air conditioning in there just yet. The central air is not in yet. So down there in the mobile studio, the grizzle vet Mike McCurdy down there in Texas. Buddy, I, I, I feel for you, man. It's a, it's a warm one down there. I can, I can almost feel that extra heat just coming off uh, your telephone here. Well, you know, man, here, you know, the great state of Texas, right about now, we're usually in the, the 90s, the 100s, you know, like every day. So you get used to it. Unfortunately, due to our current, you know, situations, you know, masks are not mandatory outside. So a hundred degrees with a mask over your mouth is just awesome. Luckily that went into effect last night. So it hasn't been too big of a deal yet, but it, it's not definitely not comfortable, but you know what? You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Things have started to really uh, begin to spike back, uh, spike up down there as far as COVID cases in Texas, uh, in your area, you guys have, have seen some great increases as well. Just, just talk a little bit about from your perspective, what it's like down there uh, now that uh, things have had, had to get tightened up again with, with COVID-19. You know, things opened up and then all of a sudden cases spiked, like, like bad spikes. We've had, you know, we've set record numbers of COVID cases over the last few weeks, you know, coming up and all that. So our governor rolled things back a little bit, you know, bars are closed again, restaurants are just smaller capacity, you know, so, you know, masks are mandatory till August 3rd in any business you go into. So, but like I said, you know, you do what you got to do. It's not a great scene. At least I got great wrestling to, to watch on TV and on the networks and all the streaming sites and YouTube and everything else. And you know what? I get to talk about great wrestling memories right here on the show with you. Yeah, I, I I definitely second that. I mean, I, I've gotten used to now having the mask up here. We're, we're in Minnesota where we're still getting cases, of course, but it's not uh, anywhere near the situation down there in Texas. And uh, yeah, wrestling has definitely been a good source, a good pleasant. Like I always say, the, the, my, my term is pleasant distractions. Try to find as many pleasant distractions. Of course, not of the kind to get you in trouble, but pleasant distractions that'll, that'll, you know, at least give you a few minutes away from the, you know, what's been going on. I mean, it's been a long year already. It seems like this year has gone 12 months instead of just finishing up the, the six months here as we are in recording at the end of June. It's just amazing. Uh, since the, the first day, things started trickling into where we are now and where we're going to go. It's still a lot of unknowns here in this this uh, this normal that we are living in right now. But wrestling, thank God, there is some wrestling going on. But boy, Mike, when we last talked uh, on here on the program, boy, things have the axis of the pro wrestling world, man, has been, oh, it's been, it's been knocked about. There's been a lot of things making news here and not exactly for all the right reasons no most definitely i know all of our listeners have probably heard about you know the speaking out movement and you know 
on national level. And that's another thing here in Texas, the speaking out movement has kind of exploded. We've found there's a lot of, a lot of our indie talent down here that, you know, haven't exactly been kosher as you might say. So been a lot of speaking out on that one. And so we're just kind of reeling a little bit because, you know, groups just reopened. They're just starting to promote. And now all of a sudden they're having to cancel a show or rebook a show because of, you know, talent issues and all that with everything going on. So definitely a, a hot button issue right now. I mean, we already have been dealing with COVID-19 and, and uh, what that has done to the wrestling business. Now, this is another big, big, big shakeup. And of course, we're going to get into detail on that. But I think it'd be uh, a most appropriate time to bring in our guest, Mike, and I'd love for you to introduce him because you found yet another interesting guest. You, you told me who he was and gave me a little bit of his backstory. And now I'm quite fascinated to learn more about him and uh, about him, what he's doing in pro wrestling, what he's done, and what his thoughts are on some of the things that are going on in the pro wrestling business. So, my friend, I'm going to let you do handle the intro as only you can do, Mr. Fr- Mr. Uh, Grizzled Vet. Uh, we got to get you a mask man handle now with all these masks we've been wearing. But, Grizzled Vet, for now, can you give us uh, a little intro here and let our guests come on in and join the conversation? I'm more than happy to do that, man. Once again, you know, I dipped into my little, uh, you know, my black book and pulled up a good friend of mine. A lot of I've known this man for, you know, quite a few years. Great talent in the ring. I think you've probably done pretty much everything you can do in professional wrestling. You know, booker, promoter, wrestler, uh, trainer. In fact, you know, trained a couple names, you know, that I think our listeners are going to be very familiar with. We're going to talk about that. But like I said, he's a good friend of mine. I reached out to him. I wanted to kind of have him come on and on to the program this week. You know, talk a little bit about his career, you know, what he's been doing now, kind of get his take on the current situation. And all that. So I'm very happy to welcome our guest this week, the wrestling memories in now, Mr. Gabe Jimenez. Gabe, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us, man. Um, I want to preface to the listeners a little bit. This is going to be easier for me. Um, I made the intro of our guest tonight, but I don't call him that. As long as I've known him, and I think a lot of his friends are the same way, I've always known him as, you know, the way he wrestled in the ring. Because for me, those became nicknames for my buddies and all that. So for this interview, we, we, we talked about this. I refer to him as ugly because that's how I know him. I have known this man is ugly for many years. We will explain why, <laughs> but I talked to him about that, you know, for comfort level, man, we're going to go with ugly tonight. It's all good, man. So tell me, you know, like I said, I met you at Portland back when you were wrestling for uh, Culbertson in the uh, Portland wrestling territory. But uh, you're also working Sacramento with SPW uh, and all that, but, how did you get involved in wrestling? You know, let's go back like, you know, when you were a little ugly and, uh, you know, what got you interested in professional wrestling? What did you see that, you know, clicked for you and what made you decide this is what you wanted to do? Well, it, um, you know, I started watching as a really young kid and, uh, I knew I was in sixth grade and, uh, my father, had just came back in my life and he was taking me to shows here at the, uh, auditorium in, in Sacramento. Uh, I think it was, uh, TC Martin was, was, promoting around at the time back right when the territory times were just getting getting over with before Vince bought everything um I was uh I just got into it I was so hooked on it uh he would bring me up here every month because I lived in Tracy California to watch wrestling when the when the loop would come and that's actually the way me and him bonded and from then on I was just sold I wasn't until I was getting ready to get out of high school when I thought that um this is something I probably wanted to do I just didn't know how so I remember at the time I had, I had uh, wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, and I had sent in a, 
uh, ad from uh, the Boris Malenko school in uh, Pensacola, and he had sent me back a letter, and I was really excited to do it. And I was going to, I was telling my father, this is what I want to do with my life, this is where I want to go. But at the same time, Humboldt State was recruiting me to play football, and he kind of, my dad kind of told me I had to go play football at Humboldt <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's probably the smarter route to go. So I went up there for a summer and got in trouble. Basically, they pulled my scholarship from me and were going to offer me a partial, um, and I couldn't afford it. So I came back home and um, couldn't do either because, you know, my dad was, wasn't, you know, didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money, so I joined the military and went into the military for about two years. Uh, got out because my knees were bad, and I came home. When I got back here, there happened to be a school in the Bay Area, and I was like, I'm going to give it a shot and win it. And then it was all it was all downhill from there. <laughs> now, what was it, you know, watching the shows and uh, at the uh, what was it that attracted you? What was it that you, that, you know, you liked the most about it? The first show I, I, I ever saw here at the auditorium, I, I mean, I pretty much remember the whole card, but the one match that stood out to me was uh, Rocky Johnson versus Roddy Piper. And I didn't know either one of these guys. I, I was just, you know, like, uh, there were just two guys coming out. And I remember watching Rocky Johnson come out going, holy shoot, man, this is a big dude. Like, he's, he's going to kill this guy. And then Roddy Piper came out, you know, and didn't have a great body, but just like, looked like an average guy. But holy, he made the audience hate him. Like, just people wanted to see him just die. He ended up, you know, winning. And he, he pulled it out. And I just remember how irate the audience was and how bought into it everybody in the building was. And just the way the crowd reacted to the stuff they were doing. I remember telling my father, like, man, this is this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, and I was just so sold into it. And it was just from that moment is when I was just, it was from then, that point on, it was, Body Piper and Ric Flair, uh, who I later started seeing in magazines, were two of my favorites. I wasn't really into the WWE guys, even though that's the product that I saw. Um, but those were the two guys that I was just so drawn into because uh, just the way they acted, the way the crowd responded to them, and just the way they were just so over, you know, just over. I don't know if it was over at the time, but just the way they were just the most, the biggest guys on the card as far as popularity. Um, and it just drew me into it. It just drew me into it. Every every week when I would watch, I would be like, you know, I was just a mark. And I'd be like, man, these guys, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. And they would just never lose. They were just the main guys and the, the most hated, you know. And they would always pull it off. And I just, that just uh, stuck to me, you know, just really stuck to me. And made me just so interested in, in watching it every week. Now, we'll elaborate on this a little bit uh, further, you know, later on in the show. But, you know, you actually have ties with you know Roddy Piper there later on as your career went on, you got to work with him in uh, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. The, and the way that the whole thing happened was I, I wrestled up there in Oregon for Culberton for a while, uh, got to meet uh, Lenny uh, Grappler, and uh, who one of my favorite people in, in the world, not just in the wrestling world, just in the world. Lenny is such a great guy. Um, and I had uh, after Frank had shut down, I think I worked for um, I think it was called NRW or so, a couple of little companies in the area, but nothing really big was going on there. I had left, uh, DOA was, was popping off. I had left and but not left, but I just kind of stuck the most of California wrestling. And I remember I had gotten a car accident and I was out of the business for like a year and I wasn't supposed to wrestle again. Um, but I had, you know, made it a point to get back in the ring and wrestle and I got back in shape and I got, you know, I looked really good. And I remember, uh, Sullivan, Jason Sullivan, uh, hadn't wanted me to come up for a DOA show. And, uh, just to watch. And I was like, yeah, no problem. I'll come up and just visit everybody. I've seen everybody almost a year. And uh, I went up there and uh, Grappler was like, hey, we have a, an open spot in this in this uh, 
gimmick, this cage gimmick, if you want it. And I was like, uh, shit, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And he's like, hey, I'm doing this thing with Roddy. If you want to, if you want a part, I'd love to get you on. And we need somebody to kind of work with the young kids and get them ready for bigger things. And I was like, sure, I just wanted bookings, you know. And uh, so Lenny booked me. I came up that next. Uh, I think it was like two weeks later, and um, they put me in a match. And it was it was. I think I had I had the first match on Uncut against uh, Pat Large. And Piper was doing the anti-bullying thing, so he kind of booked me as a big bully. And I remember when I first met him, it was like uh, I tried not to act like I was marking out, but it was just like it's such an honor for me to finally meet this guy. I I'd, I'd met him on a show before uh, for Culbertson's at at uh, Kaiser Stadium, but. Uh, to just be like in his locker room and talk to him about what I'm going to put him being my boss. It was a uh, totally different, totally different uh, way, way to deal with him. And I remember he came in and beat me up with the bells. And I was just like, this is man, the greatest thing I've ever done. And I had done a bunch of stuff already, but it was just so cool to me that at that point in my career, I was kind of getting retaught the business um, from somebody who had drew a lot of money. Um, and he was, you know, booking stuff there and, uh, he had a couple guys that he was using because they were really big, and uh, but they couldn't talk. So the Blanchers had him, told him to, hey, let Ugly cut a promo. And I cut this promo that the guys talked about called the Sandusky promo, and uh, Piper loved it. And at that time on Uncut, like, they filmed everything. So you'd see guys backstage talking to each other that just had a match, and you see they pan over to him, and he's just legitimately laughing at the promo. And from that point on, he was just like, dude, you're, you're my guy. And then he just pushed me to the moon. You know, and gave me that vehicle to to get over again and make some money in Portland. So let's, we'll just roll it back a little bit here. Um, we talked about you know your interest in uh, wrestling. You know, and then you went into the military a couple of years, came out, got involved in a uh, wrestling school there. Um, who was your trainer, and you know what was the school? Who was your trainer, and what were those initial like first few months in the in the ring, learning how to you know learning to do what you see in the guys and the other guys do. Well, the, when I first started training, I went to APW and Hayward, uh, and that was ran by Mike Modest at the time. Um, and I remember at the time I was working in Nevada at a boys' ranch. So our deal up there was we'd go up there for a week, and then we'd be at home for a week. So when I started training for the first six months of APW, um, I would have to, uh, since Wednesday, uh, we'd, we'd go up for work Wednesday to Wednesday. To Wednesday. Well, APW trained Wednesday to Sunday. Wednesday and Sunday. So what I would have to do is to drive to Reno, which is two hours past here, and then you take a left on this road and you go like another three hours, and then you're at my job site. So I drive all the way up there, come back to train on Sunday, and then on Wednesday go back through, not even come home, but go back and train at APW, and then finally get to go home. So I was doing that for a while, and then I finally got a good job here at SAC and, and just continued to stay there. But, uh, man, training there was just so – it was so rough. It was just hard – like. I had been through, like I said, the military. I wrestled and played football in high school. I'd been through martial arts my whole life. And physically, uh, the conditioning was just so brutal. Um, and then the bumping and uh, just the mental state that uh, Modest put you through there. You would train, like, you know, you'd work your ass off. And, you know, it, this just kind of goes into the, the – you get some of these new guys who don't appreciate uh, the business. Like, there was days where we would go and we'd train. Like, we would work out for, like, an hour and a half just straight conditioning and bumping. And then they say, okay, you know, go ahead and do your cleaning duties and go home. And you would just be like, man, we didn't even learn nothing on the ring today, you know, but that's just the way you, you had to take it. And that's just what Modest would do to see how you react. Um, and then generally once you were there for a while, they would, you know, spend more time with you and, you know, teach you the base and the fundamentals. And as you progress through semi-pro school, uh, semi-pro camp, uh, you learned a lot more, a lot more. But uh, I just remember the the stuff you had to deal with was really mental, uh, really uh, physically 
demanding mentally, watching you break, and then some stuff you would do, and you'd be like, man, this is bull. Like, this is, I, I, why, why am I here? This is, this is just bull. But um, it always, you know, it just made, just made, like, myself made me stronger and made me want it more. Um, and then I had been there for quite a while and then left APW and went to uh, NAW in Fresno with Brian Ward, uh, who was from the dungeon. Um, so I trained with him for, because I had a lot of training already, I trained with him for about six months, and he put me on a show. And then it was off to the races. I was just working every weekend and driving everywhere, driving up to Oregon and just all over to wrestle. And, uh, and I never stopped, never looked back. But it was, the training was hard. At, at, at AW, it was a little different because we came, uh, the guy that I was with uh, came in shape already. We learned all the fundamentals and basics. Uh, so it was more of just showing us psychology and, uh, you know, stuff like, stuff like that. So it wasn't as physically brutal as APW, but uh, uh, it was a lot more actually learning wrestling than, uh, than APW was. Uh, let's talk about APW for, for just a minute. Um, at that time, that was owned by Roland Alexander. Our listeners who have seen the movie Beyond the Mat, you know, you might remember Roland Alexander. He was the guy who was there with, with Modest, and I believe it was Donovan Morgan, I think it was. They did the uh, the tryout with the WWE where the guy was going to steal, wanted to steal Modest's finisher. APW was kind of very interesting. You know, I've been there a couple times, but they did their shows called, you know, Garage Wars. And it was a very, you know, it was an, in, it was an independent, it was in California. Uh, you know, not, you know, no national exposure really, but a lot of guys came from APW that were really talented. I mean, even like, you know, uh, you know, Crash Holly was there, you know, wrestling as a leprechaun, Aaron O'Grady. Uh, but there was a lot of talent that came out of APW. So I want to talk about that for a little bit, just kind of what the environment was like, what the kind of the wrestling scene was like, you know, and getting to work with uh, that group. Yeah, it was actually Tony Jones that was on the uh, Beyond the Mat. Donna was one of the main trainers, uh, but he was he was still he was pretty new in the business. But yeah, it was uh, it was Tony Jones. And actually, at that time when they walked when they walked into the garage, you actually see me for a second on their training on standing on the apron. And it's funny because I'm standing right next to Vinny Massaro, uh, who later became one of my my best friends. In business is Vinny. But yeah, so right at that time, that was I think that was my third camp at APW was when they shot Beyond the Mat. Uh, so. Um, that's when I really started getting to know Modest really well and hanging out with like Bison Smith and those guys that became my friends later on. Uh, Frank Murdoch was another guy that I got really close to over there who I, who I respect totally in his business. Yeah, training at that time, it was weird because, like I said, I didn't even know the business at all, anything about other than I was a fan. And when you're a fan or a mark, you think you know everything. Like You think you just got it and you could be the greatest star ever and you know everything, you had your character down and, and all this get there and you realize, man, I don't know. And they, I remember they were all these guys who I had assumed were from APW were actually from other places outside and just came to APW and were run, wrestling there. Like uh, Christopher Daniels was, uh, you know, just kind of he only been in the business a couple of years, but he was one of their main guys there. I assumed he was from there, but he wasn't. He was from like Chicago or something, and he was just coming down there to wrestle. And same thing with uh, later on, as I was getting ready to leave, uh, uh, Daniel Bryant came in and was running the school there for a while. But you see all these guys that just come through there. Uh, they were never really that product. They just retrained there or came through to do shows. Um, but the talent level there was like, you know, Vinny Massaro was, was one of the guys from there, Donovan Morgan, Bison Smith, uh, Jardy Franz. And, uh, there was just a, a plethora of guys that came through that were just really like the voice of Grant, Tony Jones, and those guys that were just so talented and so skilled. And I got to spend time with some of them. At the time, me and Vinny didn't get along. Um, so I never, I never seen him outside of camp. I just didn't like him. But uh, I 
you know, like I said, it was just he was bought into the way you're supposed to be as a trainer. So he hated me. I was I wasn't always the nicest guy when I was growing up. So I was kind of a thug, so I didn't like it. You know, from some young kid, but that's just the way the business works. Um, but yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with Modest um, after outside of uh, camp, staying late with Modest and the Blanches were the guys that were there with me, training with him after uh, learning stuff. And Bice Smith was another guy that I spent a lot of hours with um, doing extra work. Uh, because I was, I had to be gone for sometimes because of my family life. So it was, uh, it was great, man. Like I said, um, I didn't get me and Roland didn't get along, but um, you know, it's his kid, his company, it's his thing. So you got to do what you got to do. But uh, yeah, I thought it was great, man. I, I the, the the fundamentals I learned at APW were a far surpassed anything. I mean, they're, they're just Modest was just so good at what he did. Uh, it's a shame that he stopped training people. Modest is one of those guys that. I always thought it was kind of one of those, you know, untapped talents. You never got, he never really made it to the big stage. You saw him in the Beyond the Mat movie doing a trial with WWE, but he never got a chance on a, a national spotlight. And such a talented guy, like you said, um, you know, do you think they missed the boat on Modest? I mean, do you, how do you think, do you think he could have, uh, you know, actually made a mark if he got a chance to work with uh, one of the major companies? I think that uh, the biggest thing with, with Mike was he, he, he was hot at a time when there wasn't a spot for him because he was working an old-school kind of match, but he was built like a cruiserweight. And at that time, with ECW and all stuff going on, the cruiserweights were doing all these flips and hunnikaranas, and, and he wasn't doing all that. He was wrestling an old-school, just legit, solid wrestling style. And he was actually a, was on WCW for a couple of shows, and he won like the lightweight belt from Prince I.K. or something. And then they had that big shakeup. I think Sullivan lost the book, and they modestly one of the guys they fired. But then he went to Noah in Japan and became a huge star up there because that was more of his style, the strong style of wrestling, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot of people missed the boat on him. If nothing else, there's no reason why he shouldn't be, like, an agent for WWE or something. Uh, the guys, I remember just after later on in the business, I already had been training people and running the school and stuff. Uh, just I booked him just to talk to him and pick, and pick his brain. Um, and still to this day, I'll talk to him every once in a while. Um, because he's just such a smart man in the business and he just, his whole view on everything is just, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome to talk to him, you know, and, uh, uh, he's one of those guys that he's like similar to a guy named Oliver John that's from Sacramento that, uh, I think guys just really missed the boat on those two. Um, they're just, they could have been like the revival, you know, they're just so solid at what they do and they get the, they get the working part of the business, not just, you know, doing flips and stuff, but yeah, I definitely think that they missed the boat on, on, on him, on, on Modest. You know, after your training, then you, you work, you know, you obviously are going to get your debut match. Who, what was your debut match? Who was it against? And just kind of what, you know, take us through that. What was kind of going through your mind uh, that day? You walked to that curtain that first time. Is This is your debut. Take us through that uh, night. All right. Um, not to get too much into it, because then it's a whole other plethora of questions to ask. <laughs> but uh, after I had left APW, I went and trained in Fresno, and then, I remember the kid I was training with, his name was Kid Looney, Amanda Galindo. Uh, we, were, we, we would ride together because he was here from West Sac, and we went to school together and stuff. And um, we had went to, we had taken our wives to a show at Arco Arena, uh, WCW, and there was a guy handing out flyers. And uh, I took one, and I was like, oh, wow, we just, we just finished wrestling school. Like, we're looking for shows. And he's like, man, I run a show here in Oak Park, and uh, come on in, man. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can use you. So... Uh, we come down, and then I remember we get there, and Roland and Vinny, I think Boyce LeGrand, a couple of the guys were there, and we had heat with the riot heat with Roland. And Roland told him, hey, if you use him, uh, we're not we're going to leave. So the guy basically told me, look, I can't use you today, but if you come back uh, next month, I won't use them, and I'll use you. Uh, he goes, because you did me a solid. So I can't, I no problem. I mean, I wasn't working anywhere anyways. 
so I came back the next month, and from then on, he, he hired me as his booker, and I didn't even know the business. I just knew it better than him. And then we opened up a school there, you know, a few months later. Uh, but uh, the school happened because he was renting a ring off some backyard kids, and he told them, hey, if uh, we showed you how to wrestle, would you let, let us use the ring for free? And they were like, yeah, no problem. So I, I started training people just to get the ring run off for free. And uh, I just kept it simple, you know, learn how to bump, learn how to do this. And they started getting better and better. And then you know, I know the school's blown off. But coming through that, the first show I did, I remember there were so many people from my family, my friends who went through. They were all waiting to watch me wrestle. And uh, the colonial feeders when we did the show, they were just packed. And the promoter decided to put the, the hardcore belt on me, my first match ever. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, whatever you need to do, man. So I, we're, we're working our match, and I, I mean, we're just back here. So we have all the stuff we want to do, and we're going to go over out there, and we just, it's a great, it's a great match, but it's because half the people in the audience are my friends and family, you know? Um, and a lot of them were my football players were there. So it was, it was great, man. It was, we were doing some crazy stuff and driving everywhere. I remember I get to the back, and there's a bunch of vets back there. And the first thing they tell me is, you guys did too much. All you did was finish it. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm like, you guys are all just bitter old men. You know, because like, you can't do this, you know, blah, blah. And I have that old greenhorn mentality. And I remember there's two vets that pulled me to the side. And it's uh, Joe Applebomber or Coach Nugs, Pogo the Clown, whatever you want to call him. And um, he was on him. And they pulled me to the side. And they're like, listen, man, this is what they're talking about. And they kind of, from then point on, were the only two vets that took me to the side and talked to me. And uh, kind of calmed me down. From then on, it was pretty cool, man. I, I got to wrestle a lot of cool kids, a lot of cool vets, and I was in that spot where I was, I was about 24 years old, even though I was pretty green, but I was always working the vets because I was an older guy as opposed to the 16-year-old kids on the card, you know? So I got to work a lot of vets early, which uh, really formed what I became later, you know, uh, actually teaching me psychology and stuff. So, uh, but it was great, man. It was really nerve-wracking, but, uh, I was into it, man. I was just so as a drug, you know, I was just a drug. I couldn't wait to come back in that show. So who are some of the, you said you wrestled a lot of the vets. Who were some of the guys that you got to work with uh, early on in your career? Early on in the career, uh, most of them were local guys. Uh, got to work with like Samoa Joe uh, came down and Chris Daniels um, and uh, like six man and stuff like that. Uh, when I started working at for iron, which later when APW and modest had parted ways, APW had their thing going on. Modest opened up Pro Wrestling Iron because he was affiliated with Noah. From that point on, I mean, I was teaming with Vinny. So, I mean, we were working the, the SATs, Nigel McGinnis, BG Whitmer, uh, freaking um, Los Luchas. Uh, we worked the, the freaking um, Young Bucks several times. We worked freaking uh, the homies. and I mean, just all these, all these talented, highly talented guys we were doing, like, feuds with and battles with. And uh, later on, it was basically like whenever – somebody would bring a WWE guy to NorCal, I was the guy that was working them uh, because I was kind of a, not with a name, but more of a respected guy in the area. So, I mean, I was working like, you know, that Puro, not that Puro, but Gangrel uh, and Roller Animal and Chris Masters. And I actually, Chris Masters, I was, I wrestled a while, but there was a lot of different guys they would bring in for me to wrestle, like Rick Steiner would come. I wrestled Steiner in Oregon, and then he'd come to NorCal, he'd want to work me. Um, but just, like, just so many guys I was just able to work with. Uh, and it was, I was it was lucky because I got to work guys like that were either the old school veterans like the Marty Janetti's, Honky Tonk, Kamala, or they would bring in a new kid, I mean like a Chris Christopher Daniels or something like that that I would get to work as well uh, because where I was at in my career. So I pretty much got to work like so 
so many different guys. And, and when I take my kids to shows now, they're just like, man, you know him? Well, man, you work him? And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, they're just surprised because I don't brag about it all the time. It's just it's the way the business works, you know. And most of those guys that are famous now, I worked when they were greenhorns or nobody. So <laughs> to me, it's like not a big deal. Did you ever have, was there ever any, you know, interest in you from, you know, uh, you know, WWE or TNA or any of those groups as you were working? Because, I mean, you work a laundry list of guys, and I've seen you work in the ring and extremely talented. But was there ever any, you know, interest from them? You know, that's that's um, that's, it's a hard. I don't want to say there hasn't been interest, but it's a it's a hard hard question to answer. Like I've done dark matches. I had a dark match in Stockton for WWE, but it was on a house show. Um, so I've done a lot of enhancement talent and uh, things like that. But um, when I have talked to them, you know, back at the time it was you know Memphis Pro and all that stuff and. Uh, OVW and all that, and my thing has always been my kids and family. And for me at the time to leave what I was doing, them with my wife by by themselves, her not working because I was breadwinner, I was making money, money, and to go to Florida or Ohio Valley, be on a you know living stipend, uh, have to try to send money home for a chance to possibly in a maybe one in a million shot if they have something before you get a spot on TV. It wasn't even something I would entertain because I, I couldn't risk leaving them here pretty much penniless to go try to do that, you know? Um, so it w- even if I was approached with it, it would be a hard sell. Now, don't get me wrong. If Vince came say, we want you on Monday night. Uh, yeah, I'd be there in a second because it's guaranteed money. But to take that chance to go do that while you, while, for me, while I have a family at home, and then I was running a company too, AP, uh, SPW, and I also, you know, they have a lot of stuff going on. It would be just a hard sell for me especially when at the time they had so many talented guys there, you know, uh, in developmental that I was just like, how would I get a spot over these guys? You know, like Cole Cabana's here and all these, these, you know, guys who are now, you know, legendary in the business. How am I going to get a spot over these guys? You know, uh, so is it risk my family suffering to take that chance? So I would never even have entertained it. So uh, the times I have talked to people, it just wasn't really what I would have even entertained. I'm not going to say they offered me anything. I'm not going to say they didn't offer me anything. You know, when, when family is important to you, there's certain things you have to do. And um, there's so many other avenues now anyways. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, 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 I wish I could have done the big thing, especially when I see guys that I've wrestled making millions of dollars now or guys that I've trained making millions of dollars now. It always makes me wonder. And that's probably where the worst thing in my career, I can say, is the, the, the always what if, what if factor. Uh, but, you know, for me, I'm happy with what I'm doing. You know, I have so much other stuff outside of wrestling that makes me go, you know, so, you know, it, it is what it is, but, you know, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Japan, you know, and I've always wanted to do bigger things, but there's just, you know, I, I think I was put here to train people to get to that level, <laughs> you know, to, to do those things. And uh, that's what I'm happy with. Like I said, when I, I worked with Davari in uh, Portland for a program we did together and uh, he was just like, dude, why are you here? Like you should be somewhere making money. And I was just like, well, what do I do now? I'm freaking almost 40 years old at the time. You know, there's, there's nowhere to go, you know, but so, yeah, I, I never, I wouldn't say I really ever had an offer on the table, but I have been approached by, by people, you know, um, and it's just not, you know, that it's just not, it wasn't possible. All right. Well, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, like I said, you got into promoting with SPW, uh, you're working with a group now, PWA, um, you said as your career went on, you got into training. I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn for a couple questions. I think he might want to touch a little bit about, you know, just some of the guys you trained. I think our listeners might be uh, a, little, a little surprised by a couple of the names they're going to hear. 
Absolutely, yeah. I would. You know, I, that's what I really want to get into. I mean, Mike was talking about uh, your story before we got on the air here and the days leading up to the interview. You, you've definitely uh, been uh, in, involved in the pro- help, helping out and getting these guys broken in. But I wanted the listeners to know. I mean, there's a there's some there's some guys in here that are making uh, some their presence is known for quite some time. Could you tell us uh, some of the guys of whom that you trained and and what they were like uh, going through the ropes with you and uh, how surprised you are now? That the like you mentioned, there some of these guys are on TV making all kinds of money, getting all kinds of exposure. But tell us a little, some about some of the guys that you did train uh, as you made this uh, entry into being not only a wrestler but also uh, training guys. Uh, well, you know, before we get to the one everybody talks about, I'll talk about some of the other guys first. But uh, locally, a lot of guys that I've trained is like uh, El Chupacabra, um, you know, El Flaco Loco, uh, Mike Hayashi, Virgil Flynn, God rest his soul. Um, geez, you know, Bonary's one of my girls, man, uh, Drake Frost, there's Samurai, Scoot. There's, I mean, there's a lot of guys look, I'm really missing some of them, uh, Johnny Plinko, and there's just a bunch of guys that I've trained, uh, locally. Um, one of the ones who, who's been with WWE for a while is, uh, Brian Newman or Bonsai Bruce. I think they call him Ryan Tran there. He's a referee. Bruce was with me for a while. And then he went to Harley school and trained with Harley for a while. And then they really had nothing for him. So I guess, I think Trevor Murdoch told him, hey, have you ever thought about, like, not doing wrestling and doing something else in the business? So they offered him a ref job, and he's been there ever since. He's like the SmackDown head ref. And so and it's just, I'm so happy for him because he's making a living doing what he loves, which is in the wrestling business. And not, not a lot of us get to do that, you know. But uh, he was one of the, the, probably the most dedicated guys that I've had to in this business, and that's why it's paying off now. Uh, the next guy probably up would be uh, Timothy Thatcher, who just made his uh, NXT debut. Um, but I, I remember with Timmy, when he came in, he came in as a reporter um, for Sac State, and he was doing like his thesis on wrestling. So he came and talked to me, and uh, we had a lot of conversations. And I told him, I was like, hey, why don't you want, you want to train to, like, to be in the business? And he's like, no, I, I can't do it. And I said, well, just come in and you know rest some, rest some shows for us. You're a pretty young kid. And so he came to the house where I was training people at and decided to um, to wrestle with us. And I remember he took off his shirt and I was like, son of a bitch, dude, this guy is freaking like a bodybuilder. Uh, so he was training with us. And usually I have my refs do half of the conditioning and some other stuff, but Timmy would just do it all. He would basically take the class the wrestlers were taking. And I told him, dude, you're going to wrestle. Like you're going to have a match and you're going to wrestle. So he bought into it and started wrestling. And then next thing I know, he's in Germany and he's over here and he's just all over the world wrestling. And now he's finally, you know, uh, with NXT. And they, they have offered him before, but it wasn't right for Timmy. And now that the money's right and the position's right, he took it and, you know, he's flourishing. Uh, the big one everybody talks about is Johnny Morrison. Johnny came in, and I remember at the time he had just done Tough Enough 2 and he, the audition in Vegas, I think, and he didn't know what a spinner uni was. So they laughed, kind of, Jim Ross kind of laughed at him. But, you know, in Johnny's defense, uh, in the breakdancing world, it's called a gyro. He didn't know what, you know, it was, but he, he was a breakdancer, so he knew the moves, just didn't know that they called it the spinner Spinneronian. So then he ended up, uh, they ended up not using him, and then he came and he called me and was like, yeah, I wanted to get into wrestling. And uh, I remember he, he told me, the one comment that he made that sticks to my head is he told me, yeah, I want to use wrestling as a way to get into acting. And I told him, well, you're getting in for the wrong, wrong reasons because it's probably not going to happen. There's not many successful wrestlers turned actors in the business. And this is before The Rock was a billionaire. So I said, well, this is what it's going to cost to train. And he's reading off his resume and he's, you know, done all this in college and done all this. Ad. And I'm like, it's fine. It's still this much money every month. And 
uh, if you want to train, come on down. So I was, I wasn't expecting him to show up. He showed up and, uh, we put him to work, man. He just a great athlete. Um, he's always been ripped like that. He's always done the flips and stuff. And I remember I sent some interviews, some of the finishers he wanted to do. I had to tell him, no, John, that's stupid. That's, that's dumb, man. That's, it's gonna, it's gonna get embarrassed. So I, had, I gave him the finisher where he does the shooting star, running shooting star, standing shooting star, and um, he took that to um, Tough Enough Three when they called him. And I remember they Tough Enough Three called him and wanted him to come in for a tryout. And he said, "Hey, boss, uh, they wanted me to come down for a tryout. What do you think I should do?" I said, "You better go over there because indie wrestling, you know, nothing. It's always going to be here. So go do the tryout. If it happens, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't." Next thing you know, he called me and said, "Yeah, they're they're picking me up on the show." And I was like, "Cool." And I remember after watching the first episode, I was like, "He's going to win." Cause he's just in better shape than everybody, you know? And, uh, he went on and just tore it up and won it. And then we've all know what he's done in his career, you know? And, uh, he's one of those few guys that he still to this day mentions me in his interviews, uh, always gives me props, you know, that I'm his trainer. And he, and even though he's had other training, obviously he tells everybody that big ugly trained me. And I'm, and that's, to me, that means more than, you know, me telling people because he's my business card, you know? And I've had people come in from like Vegas and tell me, man, I ran into, Johnny Morrison, and he said that you trained him, and I didn't believe him. And I'm like, why in the fuck would John Morrison lie about some indie guy training him, you know, if it wasn't true? So, but yeah, to this day, man, I ran into him. I didn't run into him, but he did the show for APW before he got signed, and I took the kids down there to go to go see him. And he had a long line of people to do get his autograph. And right when he saw me, he dropped and said, wait, told everybody to wait, came over, gave me a big old hug, and uh, we just talked. And he's telling everybody, hey, I'm talking to my trainer, give me a minute. This is, you know, and so we we had caught up, and, and then we talked in the locker room. But yeah, he's just a great dude, man. He always always gives me a shout out, and uh, and he's definitely one of those guys that man, he deserves everything he has because he works his ass off, man. He's just constantly working in business and um, his parkour stuff and his his videos and uh, in the ring stuff. He just always always working, man. He deserves everything he has, uh, definitely. Um, but yeah, he's, he, I wouldn't say that I'm so proud that he's one of my students. I'm just proud of the guy he is, you know, he's just a good dude, man. And, um, it's hard to find guys like him in the business. Well, the thing with John too was, you know, he had his first big initial run in the uh, WWE and then he uh, parted ways with the Fed. But what he did though was he traveled, he learned styles. He, he, I mean, he was moving all over getting seasoning, whether it was down in Mexico or Impact or even uh, something that has really had an influence on a lot of what we see on wrestling today, Lucha Underground. And, you know, he made his movie as well. So this was a guy that didn't just let the Fed, you know, being you know, let go of the WWE, you know, bother him or become a foot to his life he may manage to parlay and keep improving so that's a testament also to just his uh just his work ethic you know this is a guy that just kept on going and kept kept his face out there even if he wasn't on a raw or a smackdown or an nxt you could still see him or hear about him whether it was in movies or professional wrestling in other companies yeah you know with john like his his goal and i don't i don't say this to be disrespectful uh but he, he's always wanted to be a star like everybody does. He just, John, John will admit it. You know, <laughs> he wants to, he wanted to be a star, but then he grew to love pro wrestling and he grew to love the business. And then he obviously became to be great at it. And once the WWE got rid of him, instead of just sitting there and complaining and, and tweeting about him, he was like, okay, this just opens up other things for me to do. And then he started, like I said, he went, you know, he went down to Mexico, started working down in LA a little bit. And uh, next thing you know, he's all over, but he just continued to work. And he had that opportunity because he kept working hard. You know, he didn't just sit there and, go to wrestling shows as the guy who got let go and just be bitter and not want to bump or not want to do nothing. He still worked his ass off. He's like a uh, gangrel. 
uh, Gangrel works his ass off in the ring, and that dude's like 60-something years old, and he's still bumping his ass off for people. And those are the kind of guys that, man, they just give back, you know, and they're looking to make people better. And when WWC things like that, they want them back, you know, because, damn, they're putting in the work, and they still have name name value, name recognition. And when Johnny came back, man, the, the response he had from the fans was insane, you know, because they loved that because he's such a good worker, you know, and he, and he just – he still keeps up with all these guys that are doing this stuff in the ring now and is, and is even more creative than, them, you know, in my opinion. So oh, I, he's, just, he's just a great dude, man. I'm so happy for him. And like I said, I haven't talked to him in a few months, but uh, he's just a good dude, man. Really good guy. Really oh. good guy. And, you know, you got him and you talked about Timothy Thatcher. I mean, we're seeing a lot of him on NXT. He had a great series of, you know, he worked with, with Matt Riddle, another guy that's on the rise, too. But, uh, yeah, he's he's had his uh, share of some uh, public stuff these days. But Timothy Thatcher, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, if he never went up to the main roster, if he was there at NXT, I mean, he would still be someone that is just a big, important asset to, to whatever uh, brand that he was working for uh, within the WWE. I thought that was one of, the, one of their smartest smarter uh, pickups because he's just got uh, just so much upside to him right now, uh, barring any certain injuries and stuff. I think this is a guy that, you know, could dominate. I mean, he could make NXT his brand and, you know, we'd think none the wiser. Yeah. You know, the, the thing with Timmy is he has the same presence that I did when I first started going to Portland. Cause a lot of the guys in Portland didn't want to work with me because they said their thing was ugly thing. Ugly thing is real, you know, and Timmy's the same way. Like Timmy, nobody chewed him into that to work. You know, Timmy like, he legit like shoots, man. He's he's just a, a a fighter, man, and he like he puts into this business, man, and he makes you have to sh- like to work in the ring and make you have to work his style and have to fight. And I've done some stuff with Thatcher, man, when he was younger. That I'm just like, God, this kid is just he just has it, man. He's just this mat wrestler that just goes and he has a motor on him, and he just gets it, man. He just he's always got the business and he refuses to change for anybody, you know, and he works the way he's going to work and that's it. And it works for him. You know, the guy just, you know, you, Jimmy's real and he's just one of these real guys in the business that he wants you to kick him in the face. He wants you to, to get in there and try to stretch him. And, uh, he's just, a, he's like the British guys, man. He's like Finley and Briegel and those guys. He's just really physical. And that for me, that's just love. Like I love wrestling that style, you know, uh, I can't go conditioning wise anymore like that, but uh, you know, Timmy was always one of my favorite kids to work, you know, uh, and as much as he doesn't want to admit it, he does a lot. Of, he used to do a lot of hardcore wrestling, uh, and he was pretty good at that too. But um, he's just man. He's the only guy like he puts in the work. He's always put in the work. And um, I remember when we would go on the road to Oregon for like a, a weekend. Timmy would take uh, a loaf of bread and peanut butter, and that's all he would eat. And I'd be like, "Damn, Timmy, you're getting paid." And he's like, "Well, I'm saving money to buy my house." And then the dude bought his house. So while we we're all living in apartments and paying rent and mortgage, he bought a house because he's just so dedicated to what he does and so just smart, man. And he just got, he gets it, man. So he's another guy that deserves what he got. And he pretty much made his own ticket. Like a lot of a lot of guys with WWE, once they put that first offer on the table, they jump at the chance. And Timmy's turned him down several times, you know. And they finally gave gave him what he wanted, and uh, now he's happy. You know, and uh, so it's good, man. I, I wish that there was uh, the COVID wasn't happening and the crowd can see him work on a bigger scale. I mean, TV is, but uh, when the crowd's in the audience, it's a whole other thing, man. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, him and Matt Riddle was such a good match. I wish there would have been a big crowd there for that, you know, but, you know, Timmy's, Timmy's good, man. Timmy's money. 
and then, you know, and when the crowds come back, they'll, they'll I guess they'll, they'll finally, finally be able to really get that full effect as far as what he's all about, uh, you know, and get that reaction and, and, and just be in and enjoy and, and, and see it not just from some empty arena or, or just full with, with, with extras. There'll be some real genuine audience appeal to it. I want to bring the, the Grizzle vet Mike McCurdy in for this uh, segment here uh, as we move on to wrestling memories then and now. I know uh, a lot of things have been going on in the current uh, pro wrestling state, not only COVID-19, but other topics that uh, Mike might want to t- touch base on here in our final big segment uh, on this edition of Wrestling Memories, then and now. Almost definitely. And, uh, man, I got to tell you, I want to invite you now to come back on, you know, a few weeks down the road and all that so we can talk a little bit more about your career because we're kind of moving all over the place, you know, and you've done so much. I want to have you back on as a second guest so we can talk a little bit more in depth about your career and, you know, your sons, uh, both of them, they've, they've moved on. They've gone into the wrestling business as well. You trained them. And all, but we want to talk about that. But I do want to talk a little bit about the current topics because, you know, you are, you know, a promoter, owner. You're dealing with the COVID-19 situation just like the rest of us are as far as, you know, wrestling goes with, you know, the wrestling in front of no crowd. It's just now starting to open back up. And in the midst of all that, just within this last week, we've had the speaking out movement. You're very open, you're very honest uh, in your opinions about, you know, the current scene and things, what's going on. But I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the, you know, the COVID situation, how you're handling it, how it's affected, you know, what you're doing, what you're doing after, you know, as things open and touch a little bit on the speaking out movement that's just, you know, come up. Okay, well, as far as the, we'll go on the COVID first. <laughs> the, co- the COVID, actually, for me personally, I, I'm I'm doing fine. With, I mean, like, I'm actually flourishing with what is going on i've been more focused than i've ever been in my life i'm uh you know i'm one of these guys though i have to keep doing something i have to have oh i have a bunch of balls in the air otherwise i'm not i just i'm not happy you know i because i couldn't go to the gym every day i'm trying to work out at home but i don't have enough weights so i walk now i do a lot of walking so i walk three to five miles every day i'm in the best shape of my life uh because i i used to, i don't have to go to work every day you know because i don't you know we, we're sh- the school shut down so I'm so ready to get back in the wrestle again because I just, you know, besides all the business, but I think I look pretty good right now. Other than that, as far as affecting my company, it's really, we, we had a head of steam going um, for the couple of shows we ran. Uh, we had some big things going on and we had out four shows um, that were three were in different areas. Uh, the one big one I had to cancel was that I do a show at my high school every year that where I coach football at uh, called the River City Rumble. And I mean, we're, drawn a lot of people there uh, but i had to cancel it so all the funds from go into the into the school and the sports and uh sports and uh, teams and clubs programs there so that kind of put a uh, a damper on what we were doing last year i think football made like eight thousand dollars uh the band made some money senior scholars made money so everybody makes money off of that show um and we just everybody lost on that one so it's kind of put a, a stop on what we were doing um as far as the pwa thing uh, which I just uh, became partners with Pat Kelly um, on that. Uh, and we were just really excited. The guys were excited. So, but, uh, you know, it just, it's allowed us to kind of regroup because we were, I think, I think I was going ahead of myself and some of the stuff we were doing. Um, so it's kind of let me regroup uh, as far as uh, things I need to get done before that. Be- because that, like I said, that's been going on. I've been you know looking into buying my own house now where I can run my school again. So everything's right on the cusp of where I need to be because I've been able to focus on things, not, not doing work. And I haven't been able to coach football right now because of this COVID thing. So it's given me opportunity to focus on other things in my life that I need to get done. So as far as that goes, it's doing great. You know, I'm, 
I'm one of the few people who I follow the rules of the COVID, the social distancing, wearing the mask because it does affect a lot of people. I personally haven't been affected in it in any way. Nobody I know has had COVID. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not saying it's freaking, you know, it's a, it's a conspiracy. I'm just saying that I haven't, nobody on me or my social media has been affected by it. So it's not real to me yet, but I still follow the norms of it because there is people who flog logo, for example, who have other illnesses that it can't affect. So out of respect for them, and because we're supposed to, I follow those, those social distancing rules. However, I can't wait till we can go back to our life as, as, as normal. Um, the gym's just opened back up, so we're at the gym now every day, and um, things are starting to get back, but then there was another outbreak over here. So, you know, who knows, man? I just It's, it's put a damper on our life, but I'm not, I'm not like some people where, you know, uh, I hear a lot of the wrestlers saying, oh, man, with the COVID thing, and my life's over now, and I have nothing to look forward to without wrestling. I'm like, man, if if all you have forward to in your life is wrestling, then the problem is you, you know, wrestling is just a part of your life. It shouldn't be your whole life, you know? Um, and people that say that just don't understand the business for themselves. So anyways, man, like I said, uh, that's just, um, you know, it, it's, it's put a damper on things, but hopefully it makes people appreciate what we're doing more. As far as the indie guys go, I hope that they appreciate what they're learning from this, which is, you can't just sit home and bitch about what you're not getting. You have to get out and do it and get done and get better. Use this time like an off season. You know, wrestling doesn't have an off season until now. So get in shape, get physically better, work on your promos. There's stuff you can do. You don't have to be in the ring to do, you know, and a guy, I think guys need to spend time doing that instead of complaining, you know, uh, the product on TV, it's hard to watch at times for me. There is some good matches going on, but because they can only use certain people, I think storylines are really bad right now. And they're doing a lot more theatrical stuff, like making movies kind of with matches that I'm not a big fan of. But it's just the way industry changes, you know, so you just have, you got to roll with it, you know. So I, I don't I'm not a vet that says I don't watch the product anymore. I do watch it. I just don't play clo- pay close attention to it. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the old school stuff. So I'll always throw on something from NWA or Mid-South or Smoky Mountain or something, uh, at least daily, just to, because I like that stuff. It's what I grew up on. The, I think the WWE product is, is it's it's rough at times, you know, and it's not just their fault. It's what they're dealing the hand that's dealt, you know, and uh, making the best of it. You know, that's how I just the COVID thing is. It, it is what it is, you know. Uh, nobody was prepared for it, and uh, we won't be prepared for it next time. As far as the other the other issue, which I know is the hottest topic right now, the and I have kind of a different outlook on that than most uh, because I've been in the business so long. And I have to deal with a lot of stuff that is uh, mental health issues. So I, I see it from a couple different perspectives. But one, um, people act surprised that there's guys in this business who do these things. And it's not a shocker. Like, I don't see how people are so surprised that it happens. What they need to be surprised on is how far it goes and people don't say nothing. Um, that, it gets, that it somehow gets overlooked or swept under the rug. We've created a society of pro wrestling where it's okay to do those things. On the flip side of that, we've created this industry where you have people that want to get in so bad, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get into it. And for a young lady, that means believing the wrong person and getting manipulated. And this isn't saying girls who get force, forcefully raped or groped. That's a whole different ball game. And those, those guys should be hung up and, and killed. But I'm talking about females who, who are getting manipulated into sleeping with guys, guys using their power or whatever. Um, sometimes girls, not just girls, guys as well, want to get into the business so bad they make friends with people they shouldn't make friends with and then get manipulated, which is awful. But the fact that people know there's guys like this and don't say is what the problem is. 
um, for a female in this business, it is the toughest road you're going to have because you don't know who to trust. So like with my female wrestlers and my male wrestlers, I tell them, you have to assume that everybody in this business is out to get you, out to use you until they prove otherwise. Um, and what happens a lot of times with trainers and even guys who've been wrestling for a while is this hot chick will come into a company. I want to train next month. She's on shows or, Hey, I'll work with you on the side, come over and watch some videos. And we'll go over game film and watch together. But they're doing that just with her and not other wrestlers. They they're trying to earn the trust so they can obviously do handle business um, and girls fall for it because why they're just, they think that they Honestly, our guys are trying to help them. It's not always the case. So like with my female students and my male students, which I tell everybody that I don't train males and females. I train workers, you know, and you all follow the same guidelines. I don't let students at my house, you know. If I tell them, <clears throat> if you're at my school, which I haven't opened my school yet, but when I will again, if you're going to train here, you are never training one-on-one -on -one with somebody. You have a group of people here. I never tell a girl, come over and I'll work with you. I'll work with three or four people, you know, just to protect myself and for the, and for them to feel comfortable. But when you put yourself in, in spots like that and trust the wrong people, man, you leave yourself open to predators. You know, I know that's not what people want to hear. I'm not blaming the victims, but there's certain things you have to do in this business, in life in general, and you have to protect yourself at all times. And you have to not trust anybody because there's scumbags out there that use their power. You got to look at some of these guys have never been nothing in their lives. And now all of a sudden they get a little bit of power, a little bit of fame and notoriety, and they want to be this stud and live the gimmick or live, you know, their what they couldn't do in high school or whatever. And they they victimize some young lady because of that, you know. Uh, and it's a, it's a shame. But that's the kind of the the order we need to have as, as vets and as trainers of companies is those people like that. We, can, we have to make sure we weed them out. Um, and it's really hard when you have social media and people, different ways people can contact each other. But what I tell females is, you know, your first couple of weeks in the business, if all of a sudden you have 60 guys hitting you up on Facebook, they're there for arterial motives. Don't add them on right away. Make people earn your trust, earn your respect. And then you have to carry yourself as you are a professional. You know, I, I have some girls who feel free to change in the locker room with guys. Some girls feel free to just go in the ring and, and do certain things and be a part of certain angles. And you have to... You have to know your limitations, man, because it, this business is it'll swallow people up. And, and nothing pisses me off more than when I'm doing a show and a girl be a valet who's not exposed to the business yet. And all of a sudden, the guy wants to do an angle where he's making out with her or smacking her on the ass or doing something like that. And the girl has no choice but to do it because she thinks it's for the business, but it's not. It's not for the business. You know, you have to go back as a trainer and say, hey, she's not ready to be in a show yet. She's not even trained just because she's hot. I'm not putting her on a show. So we have to protect those girls in that way and don't give them that false sense of you're on shows, you're important now. You know, I treat all my students the same. You guys are students until I tell you you're ready to be a wrestler. It just, it's a shame that we're at this state right now. And I said, you can't blame the people that it happens to, but they just need to understand that there is people you can talk to. And if you're doing, if something's going on that you don't feel comfortable with, you can always say no, because there is not one independent promoter that's going to make or break you in this business. And if you're, if you're putting yourself, having to do stuff like that that you don't want to, to be on a show in front of 40 people, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. You know, you can walk away from any company at any time, and there's 10 of the companies out there. Tell people, don't be so eager to get into this business. Get into it the right way. And we have to just, as vets, we have to protect ourselves more, and we have to protect the people around us more. 
And I'll tell girls all the time, hey, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You're, you're in the bathroom stall with three guys smoking a joint. That doesn't look well, you know, and she could take it for what she wants. But I'm going to say something, you know, and I'm to the point now where most of the guys in the locker room know in my locker room, you don't say certain things, you don't do certain things. And because uh, that's just the way I carry myself. You know, it's a, it's a company. It's a, it's a business. And you, you need to conduct yourself that way. One of the, one of the, the things with pro wrestling, uh, even at the bigger scale, is you have some of the females out there who are uh, on a bigger scale, the older ones like Missy Hyatt's and all those people who kind of set the tone for uh, women sleeping around. Even to this day, the one name that always crosses my mind in any conversation is Molly Holly. And any wrestler you talk to will tell you Molly's the good, good girl. She doesn't do nothing like that. She's this, she's that. Every wrestler speaks highly of her on, her on her character, on her person, because she set a tone for that way. You know, she's, she's just a good-ass person. She doesn't do those things. And uh, I think females need to stop trusting guys uh, so much, you know, because there is guys out to get them. And, you know, like I said, it, it's not every guy and it's not every girl, you know, but it's just it's a shame that we have to have this conversation. But it's not a shocker to me. I've seen I've seen some stuff where I've had to, I've had to tell people this this shit this is put you away. A good friend of mine, uh, Lust of the Legend from Reno Scum, he used to walk around naked. And I thought, dude, put some clothes on. There's girls here, and he's just doing it to joke around. But I'm like, there is girls here, dude. Like maybe they don't want to see that. So I don't know. It, it's a it's a touchy subject, man. And and I, and I hate the fact that we have to discuss this. But with more women coming into business and more women, you know, going to speak out about it, it needs to be said. I just tell females, man, don't ever feel like you can't say something. Speak up. And if you're in the locker room and you don't like the way somebody's talking, and because locker room talk, you know, it gets it gets pretty vulgar sometimes. You can say, hey, excuse me, could you please not say that? Most of the guys will be like, yeah, hey, I'm sorry, I apologize. If you're going to go into a, the show and the guy says, we're going to do this all where I bend you over my knee and spank you, you can tell him, no, I'm not doing that. And if he kicks you off the show, okay, fine, go to another show. When you accept those things, you set the tone for worse things to happen. You have to speak up right away. And as a guy, if you see a girl uncomfortable doing that, tell them. You know, I tell promoters all the time, no, that's stupid. No, don't do it. She doesn't want to do it. You know, but we just have to speak up and uh, understand that this business is bigger than us and we need to protect it. And um, none of us are superstars, man. And and, it, and, and it's not, it's, there's no course for treating anybody like that anyways, but um, you know, we're just all independent guys working the same show and none of us are stars. So we need to act appropriately until we're on the big level, you know, and there's some girls who've made it through this business or are doing big things right now who people can't say nothing but nice things about, you know, Shotzi is one, for example, who's with NXT right now. She's from here. Uh, people talk highly of her. Oh God, Jeff Cobb is over again. I think of her name. Uh, she's doing really well for us. Nicole Savoy, all these girls, you know, Bon Airy, they're, they're all really talked about, looked about highly, um, and they're just great people, you know. Uh, I'm sure they've had their, their instances, but you know, they handle themselves appropriately, you know. Um, so, women, don't be scared to speak out. And guys, don't be afraid to speak out if you see something happening that uh, you don't agree with, you know. Um, I, look, I tell people this way. If I go to a job and they're telling me to do something I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find another job, you know. So I just wish more people would take that attitude in. Uh, the business isn't that great to be in if it's going to make you change your morals and values. And if you go home every night feeling dirty, um, it's probably not the business you want to be in. Um, and, uh, so that you need to just decide, Hey, do I want to continue to do this or get out of this business? Cause it's not for me. And I just, I, I apologize for all the females that have to go through this because it, it is, it is a real thing. It is happening. And I just think we need to we definitely need to clean it up before 
uh, this business is really just looked upon as a joke. All right, man. Well, like I said, I want to invite you back on a few weeks down the road. We can talk more about, you know, your career because we barely touch the service in this hour. But I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn because I'm, I'm sure the timekeeper, you know, she's taking a few weeks off like the rest of us, but she's probably giving him the, the look right now. For Gabe Jimenez, the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Brockett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1.